Okay, a very warm welcome. Nice to see you. Uh, it's very good to have you with us, particularly if this is your first time here. Uh, you're very welcome. My name's Ed, uh, as Greg said, and I lead the church with my wife, Hannah. It's very nice um, to see you all. You're here on your own terms, uh, as we always say. We've been talking about, over the last few weeks, the, the um, mysterious world of faith, what it is to be a person of faith. Uh, like we like to say here, faith is the magic with God. So the more that we can understand faith, the more that we can actually be the people that we're supposed to be, enjoy the life that we're supposed to live, to life, to live, and make the impact that we're supposed to make. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I talked about um, Jesus' kingdom, what he came really to do. And in a snapshot, it's this. It's to defeat all the works of darkness. Really, that's what he does. He comes to an announce a, more of a moment in time rather than a new message because basically he's saying, I'm here to write everything that is wrong. And ultimately, he does that on the cross, but he shows his authority over darkness through healing people, through preaching good news, through going to the poor and the lowly, the people who have been told they are nothing, and he brings them up, he gives them good news, he says that you are special, that you are important, that I have come for you. And we see this ongoingly in his kingdom now. It is not fully arrived, we are waiting for it to be fully arrived, but we see a taste of it now. So any time in which we are seeing people released from captivity, any time we are seeing people released from spiritual or societal or um, political oppression, any time we are seeing the dead raised, the blind see, any time in which people are experiencing the love of their father, their father in heaven, they're experiencing the forgiveness and the freedom from their past, that's when we're seeing the kingdom come. And I say all this because... As Greg was praying, we've seen quite a lot of darkness recently. And it carries on, doesn't it? It carries on. But really, it doesn't have to. Not when Jesus is on his throne, being the king of his kingdom, bringing forth his goodness and his light and his healing, then we can see an end to all darkness. And really, the Christian game is getting on board with that. That's what it is, is purely just opening ourselves to, okay, I want to be part of this kingdom, and I want to see it grow. Simple. I say this because I wrote this talk before the events of this week, and I was thinking, should I really give this talk? It's a talk about money and our whole experience of money. And I was thinking, no one really wants to hear about that today, do they? <laughs> but actually, at its heart, it's not just about money. It's really about generosity. It's about how we, as people, can be completely free from all the trappings of ungenerosity. How we can actually become the people that we're supposed to be, completely free and open and wild and crazy with ourselves, with our resources, with our lives, with our money. Because that's what God has done to us. That is what he has changed us into, people like himself, who is the abundant giver. And really, it's about grace. It's about receiving the free, generous grace of God so that we might actually give it to other people. 
and really that's all we've got. We've only been here for two years, and in that time, uh, we've seen quite a lot of mass shootings. We've seen um, some pretty devastating natural disasters. In the UK, we don't have either of those. We've got a tiny little bit of wind and a lot of rain, but not heavy rain, just drizzle. That's what we get. And I know, though, that if you've been here for a while, it becomes a bit normal, these sorts of things, this sort of devastation. It's still not normal for us, and I would like us to think this doesn't have to be normal. This doesn't have to be, because in God's kingdom, there is no destruction, there is no pain, there is no suffering, there is no mental illness, there is no shooting, there is none of this stuff, because this is not the world that Jesus created. This is not the world that he wants for us and for his creation. He wants to redeem it all, and he wants us to be part of it. Okay? Good. But anyway, money. I remember uh, meeting a couple a few years ago. They were a very successful but very unassuming couple. You wouldn't have known it, but they were highly um, professionally successful and they'd made a lot of money. The problem was is that they'd been brought up in a very strict kind of Christian upbringing where you never did anything too crazy. You made sure that you did the right thing all the time. And they sort of would wander into church going, oh, I hope I'm doing the right thing. I hope I'm doing the right thing. I hope that sort of thing. Very nice, but I hope I'm doing the right thing. However, after a while, they started getting used to the work of the Holy Spirit, and then both of them experienced the Spirit in a very powerful way at the front of church. And it was a sort of complete turnaround for them, because all of a sudden they started being the people they actually were, which was, ooh, they're so full of joy. And one of the ways in which they showed their joy is they could not stop giving money away. They just wanted to give it away all the time, all the time. They would go up and say, what are the needs of the church? What are the needs of the church? We want to give money. We can't stop it. We can't stop it. And I remember meeting uh, the wife at one stage after they'd started giving lots and lots of money away and she said, I've got to stop him. I've got to stop him. He, he just won't stop. He's just giving it all away. He gave our house deposit away the other day. He's just doing it, he's doing it, he's doing it, he's doing it. And I, and I said, um, well, yeah, you know, we need to be responsible. He said, the thing is, I don't want him to stop because I love it, I love it. This is what happens. This is what happens when the Holy Spirit gets us. When he actually changes our lives, we become, rather than inward focused and mean and tightly holding on to our everything, we become generous and open and free. Now, we do need to be responsible. I'm just going to say this. Becoming a burden to other people financially is not living by the Spirit Don't do that. But do be responsible. But at the same time, be wild and free like your God is wild and free. And let's be honest with ourselves for a second. Probably most of us do not have a problem, a serious problem with wild over generosity. We can't just, we just can't stop. Most of us wouldn't have that. But I wonder if this morning we could think about choosing to turn towards Jesus and freedom 
and generosity and outward focus, a posture of grace and goodness as opposed to in on ourselves and got to hold tightly to it and anxiety. This is Luke uh, chapter 19. Very famous story that you may have heard in Sunday school. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down. That's my Jesus voice. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. He's very posh <laughs> for some reason. Uh, shut up. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, 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 here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. So, Jericho was this prosperous city. It was, uh, had this huge palm forest and world-famous balsam groves. I still don't actually know what a balsam grove is, but they perfumed the air for miles around. Uh, it was like a garden city of roses. It was known far and wide. People called it the city of palms. Josephus, who's an ancient first-century Jewish historian, called it a divine region, the fattest in Palestine. And the Romans carried its dates and its balsam to worldwide fame and trade. So this is like the Champagne region of Jesus' time. It's like the Napa Valley. It's like the Tuscan Hills. He has gone to the beautiful place that is, above all things, rich. Abundant and rich. And this is important because whilst Jesus obviously spent the vast majority of his time with the lowly and the poor, he's not exclusive to anyone. And he actually comes here, he's passing through, but nevertheless he comes here and he meets with rich people. He meets with the elite. And he meets particularly with someone who's very rich, Zacchaeus the tax collector. Now, tax collecting in the Near East is not what it's like for us now. If I were to ask you to put up your hand if you like giving tax, I would imagine none of you would put up your hand. Unless I think Warren Buffett actually wants to give more tax. But most of us don't like giving tax. However, we probably all agree that to live in a civilised society, taxes are kind of important. We need roads and we need schools and we need all these sorts of things, so we probably should. But none of us, you know, I'm from Europe. You probably think I'm some sort of liberal socialist kind of libtard or something. Even I, despite that, do not like giving tax. I do not come to tax day and go, great, my favourite day. I hope I can give as much as possible to the IRS. So tax is bad, but tax in the Near Eastern world, much, 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 much worse. Completely different level, actually. The people in the New Testament, the Jewish captives in their own land, would not be giving 40% or 45%, or they would be giving 80% minimum. Rich or poor, 80% of your wealth is going in tax. And then, after that, 
They are having to probably bribe the tax collectors, and the tax collectors will all, all be taking a little bit of a cut on top of that. And if they don't pay, we're talking extortion and beatings and violence. And this is your general experience of tax and tax collecting in the Near Eastern world of Jesus' time. What's more, though, the tax dollars, they're not going to improve your community or your life or even the people that you care about. They are going solely for the progression of the Roman agenda. So we're going to build more roads and we're going to build bigger armies and we're going to put up more statues and we're going to defile your temple and your culture and your people even more than we already done. And also you need to give it to us. So as a first century Jew, you are without choice making life for yourself and your community much, much worse, whilst also improving the lives of your oppressors. So no wonder the tax collectors, Jewish collaborators, would be despised, absolutely despised by everyone, social pariahs, hated. These are people who have chosen only for their own good, only to make themselves richer, only to get their own power, to destroy their families, their communities, their people, their heritage, their way of life, purely for their lust, for filthy, dirty money. And Zacchaeus, he's not just a tax collector, He's the chief tax collector. This is a phrase that is used nowhere else in the New Testament, and it means that he is the top dog. He is the one looking down not on just his own people, but on all the other tax collectors as well. He is the 1% of the 1%. And he, as Luke says, is wealthy, which is a huge understatement. He is preposterously rich, disgustingly rich, the 1% of the 1%. He is the corrupt capitalist. But what that money has inevitably brought him is also power. Money always brings power because, if you think about it, the more money you've got, the fewer things that you have to actually bother with any other people about. You don't have to worry about your clothes that you wear. You don't have to worry about where you live. You don't have to worry about whether you're going to eat tonight. Like Jeff Bezos, for example, do you think he worries about any of those things? Probably not. He might worry about some other things, but not those things. So this story is just as much about power as it is money. And I'm going to come onto those topics in a minute. But not before we see that the heart of this passage really is about faith and grace. And so, if we are going to be people who are people of faith, who actually extend God's kingdom in a proper and impactful, powerful way, we need to grow in faith. But the starting point for growing in faith is always grace. Jesus says, Zacchaeus, Come down immediately. I must, I must, I have to, I cannot be stopped. I must stay at your house. Jesus it is who always takes the initiative. And the reason we know he always takes the initiative is he is the one who left all the glory of heaven to be born in a stable. He always takes the initiative. He always is the one who is saying to us, I want you, I want you, I want you, I want you. 
before we've figured out what we think of him, before we've cleaned up our act or sorted out our questions, before we've said sorry or turned around or changed any sort of behavior or our mind or acknowledged exactly who it is who's talking to us. Jesus is coming to us, coming to us, coming to us while we're still far off, every single one of us. He's coming towards us and he's saying, I'm here, I'm taking the initiative, I want you, I want you, I want you, I want you. And this isn't just Jesus saying, I want to get to know you, to invite yourself round to someone else's house in New Testament times is to say, I want a deep, meaningful relationship, friendship, intimacy with you right now. It means we're going to be friends for life, and he takes the initiative every single time. He's a bit rude like that, Jesus. You know, Jesus Christ, meek and mild. No, he's not. I'm coming around to your house now. Get ready. And Zacchaeus' response is very telling. He came down at once and welcomed him gladly, with joy. Please come, please come, I can't believe it. With great joy is actually the phrase in the Greek. Jesus, of course you get what a privilege. You come to my house. No one wants to come to my house. Everyone despises me. They hate me. They absolutely hate me. And let's be honest, if we think about people who have swapped or have gone after money and power beyond anything else, they never look very happy, do they? They actually never look like they really love themselves. I would imagine Zacchaeus hates himself as he sits up a tree. So everyone hates him, and he hates himself, and Jesus says, I'm coming to your house now. The reason he has to climb a tree is not because he's short. I say this as a strangely tall person. If you've ever met my mother, who's been here a couple of times, she's about this small. My dad, uh, he was about this tall, and then me. I, I, you know, who knows? Uh, but anyway, <laughs> I'm huge. Uh, as a huge person, let me tell you what it's like when you go to a gig. I used to do this. I've stopped doing it because it embarrasses my wife too much. But I used to think, I'm a really tall person. Just because I'm tall, that doesn't mean I can't go to the front. And so I would arrive late and then sort of drag my wife through grumbling people going, oh, that guy. And then I would stand as near to the front as possible and no one could see past me. And I go, that's not my fault. I'm, you know, anyway, it annoys people because you're too tall. But short people, of course you could, like, I, just, I welcome them. Short people, look at you down there. You're fine. You can, you can stand there for as long as you like. You're absolutely fine. So Zacchaeus, the problem for him is not that he's short. Because no one minds a short person. You can stand there, look up, I can see, it's fine. The reason he's not allowed in is because he's despised and hated. They're not letting him in because he's horrible. He's disgusting. You can go up the tree. So let me ask you this. Do you hate the money delete? Do you hate rich people with power? Do you find yourself resenting them, feeling intimidated by them, despising them, wanting to pull them down as they use their power and their money to subjugate people, as they use their power and their money and their influence to get out of things that they shouldn't want to do? Do you hate, do you despise the money delete? Because Jesus does not. He knows exactly what Zacchaeus is like. And he says to him, I want to come to your house today. 
because Jesus has no favorites. Jesus loves everyone equally. And Jesus is the God full of grace to every single person. He wants us all. He wants every single one of us. But that's not all. So I grew up in a Christian home, and I didn't really like it very much. Because my experience of Christianity is this is really hard work. It was basically down to how hard I would try to make it all good. Yes, of course Jesus died for me, and he's forgiven me, and his grace covers it, and it's all good. But now it's my turn, and now I've got to do it. Now, now, you, 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 you. And people would say to me, oh, you've really disappointed him. Do you not know what he's done for you? Of course I know what he's done for me. I don't mean to disappoint him. I just disappoint him over and over again. I don't mean to. It just happens. I disappoint him. And then after a while, I thought, well, I'm done with the disappointing thing. I'm just going to give up. Because I also thought, wait a second, I don't even believe in this. Great. Goodbye, disappointing God, because goodbye, God. And I was gone. And I would be lying to you if I didn't tell you that at that moment, very free. Felt incredibly free. Finally, all these shackles of having to not disappoint someone I don't even believe in. Great. I'm out of there. What I did find over a bit of time is that actually left to my own devices didn't do a great job of running my life either. That's another story. But the idea that grace gets us in and then it sort of trickles away and we can make it trickle away faster if we don't do the right thing, this is something that a lot of people grow up with. And actually, interestingly, it's what every other philosophy and spirituality says about life. It's down to you. You've got to eat this, don't eat that. You've got to do this, don't do that. You've got to behave like this, don't behave like that. If you do this, but if you don't do that, and if you only do this, then spiritual success will come to you. Then you will transcend. Then you will be good, but you've got to do it. Uh, on the Christmas service, um, I am very good at talking to people who don't believe, just so you know. <laughs> Uh, that's one of my gifts. I've got about three. That's one of them. Um, but I'm going to talk about this um, idea of living your best life. I've noticed that there is like a, a trait now of celebrities telling people what they do as their day-to-day -day routine. Have you seen this? So I think Oprah did one recently. And it's like the most... I mean, basically, the implicit thing is, if you do all these things, you will have my amazing life. Um, uh, so I'm going to talk about living your best life. But basically, it's just a massive noose around everyone's neck. Matt Damon, no, not Matt Damon, Mark Wahlberg, they're interchangeable in my mind. <laughs> Mark Wahlberg did one where he gets up at 2.30 to pray for an hour and a half, and then 2.30 every day, pray for an hour and a half, and then do two hours of waits before he can then receive his glorious children and get on with the day. It's a noose around our neck. Do this, do this, do this, and then you will be happy. Then you will succeed. That's what I'm going to talk about. Christians, we're just as susceptible to this as anyone else, if not more so. We do it all the time. Are you a good Christian? Are you? How's your walk with the Lord? How is your walk, yours? Are you really taking your faith seriously? 
Shouldn't you be trying harder if you're a proper Christian? That's my favorite. You're a pro- Call yourself a proper Christian. You. Would you mind leaving all that thinking where it belongs? In the trash can with all your other garbage. And then set a torch to it and do not come back to the ashes. And having done that, why don't you hear again the actual Christian gospel? Nothing you can do can make him love you more. Nothing you can do can make him love you less. Grace is the only way in, and grace, grace is the only way on. It is all grace, from start to finish, from the crucifixion to eternity. We are people of grace. That is what it is all about. It is how we become the people we're supposed to be. It's how we actually manage to move on to become disciplined, normal people. It's all by grace. It's all through receiving his power to do it, because we can't do it. I mean, how good is your job at being a great person going? supposed to be about money oh yeah the crowds grumble and mutter they grumble and mutter like grumbling muttering people always do he's gone to be the guest of a sinner you see what they would love Jesus to do is say to Zacchaeus okay I've come to your house now let me tell you a few home truths you are disgusting you are someone who has to clean up their act you have to get it all together otherwise I'm never coming back to your house again and if you don't then it is going to be very bad for you that's what the crowds want him to say but Jesus doesn't say anything of the sort he says I've just got to come around to your tea come around to your house for tea I must I must And all Zacchaeus does is say, thank you. But it gets worse for the religious people because having got to his house, having sat down with him, and the reason we know he's got to his house is because they say he's gone to his house, and then Zacchaeus, it says, stood up, which means that he was having a meal with Jesus, which means to have an actual relationship with someone. Zacchaeus stands up, and then Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. Salvation has come to this house. It's not going to come if he does something. It's not going to come if he keeps his side of the bargain. It will not kind of drift away if he doesn't read his bible every day it's come and it's finished and it's done for him and it will never ever be taken away from him no one has told him to do anything he's just said yes come to my house and then salvation has come to this house so do not make the mistake of thinking that salvation has come because Zacchaeus has given away a whole load of money It's the other way around. Salvation has not become because Zacchaeus has given away his money. He's given his his money because salvation has come. It is the sign. It is the evidence that this has happened. So Jesus is really just stating the obvious. Of course it's come because look at what has happened to you. Look at what has happened to you. This is what happens when the grace of God hits us between the eyes. We become the people we're supposed to be. And Zacchaeus goes from a tight, miserable, money-grabbing collaborator who despises his people and is despised to a wide-open person who just can't get enough of the idea of giving his money away.
So really, for us, how much do you want to let him in? Faith grows as we open the door to him to let him in to every area of our lives. Zacchaeus can't believe his luck. Jesus coming to his house. So he just lets him into the whole thing. And guess what he does? He goes, Lord, look, if I have, given, if I have cheated anyone, I'm going to give them back four times amount. And here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. He cannot help himself. He can't stop himself. How do we know? Because he's going way beyond any stipulation or command that he might have to do. In Levitical law, you're supposed to give away 10%, a tithe of your earnings to the poor. That's not enough for Zacchaeus. He's giving away 50%. If you've begged, stolen, or borrowed from anyone, you're supposed to give away that amount plus 20%. That is the maximum, actually, of any interest that can be charged. Again, not enough for Zacchaeus. He's giving away everything plus 300%. Why so much? Because I think Zacchaeus understands that it is not just money he's giving away, but he's giving away power. Money is power. The more of it we have, the more we are able to control our own destinies, we're able to order everything in our lives, our whole experiences of life. 10% to poor people is a huge amount. That really affects people. I'm going to lift up my daughters as poor people. They don't have very much money, but we give them about a dollar a week for pocket money. If they are missing a dollar, they really know about it. They know exactly how much money they've got. It's usually about $4. And if they're missing a dollar, then they really know about it because it impacts them a huge amount. A dollar to a rich person means nothing. 10% even to a rich person. What is it? A slightly smaller mega yacht. It doesn't make an impact because they are still completely in control of their whole destiny. But to give away a large amount of money like this is giving away not just money, it is giving away power. And that's what Zacchaeus has realized. He's realized that in order for this to actually really impact him, he needs to give away all his power to the one person whose power is infinitely more enriching. The one person who can actually transform someone's life. It's why Jesus tells that story about the widow who has two tiny little coins and she puts them in the collection and the rich people who give out of their abundance he's got no time for. So then give yourself away. Give your whole lives away to the one who will give it all back to you, who will give you so much more than you can get in any other way. I'm not talking financially here. Because the beauty of giving money away is that we give away our power, we give it to him, and he goes, great, now I can get involved with my power. But also, when we give ourselves away, particularly when we give our money, we empower other people. When we were kind of planning to move over here and start the church, um, we were trying to raise some money, and we didn't have very much, uh, and we thought we needed some money. So someone put me in touch with someone I actually knew a little bit, um, who was incredibly wealthy, incredibly, incredibly wealthy. 
Um, but he didn't know me that well, kind of knew of me, knew, um, had met, we'd met a couple of times. And, um, but he's a Christian guy and he knew of our church and whatever. And I remember meeting with him and he's a lovely, lovely guy, just the most generous person you see. He's just big, he was, he's huge, uh, and he's a big smiley guy, just, you know, seems to be, life is joyful, possibly because he's got millions of dollars. Uh, <laughs> But anyway, um, I remember sort of nervously explaining. So we've got this church plan, whatever. And he, he, his face just beamed. And he went, you know, we talked for three minutes, if that. I, was, I had all this business plan, this is the thing, whatever. He's not interested in that. We just talked for three minutes. He said, I'd like to give you 75,000 equivalent. With a huge smile on his face. And I just was bowled over. I thought, that's incredible. This is going to enable us to do this thing. And the joy on his face of being able to actually, this church would never have happened without him, of being able to empower something from nothing, to be able to bring hope and joy to a new community, to be able to see God's kingdom come. It is hugely empowering. Let's just be the people who give money away. See what it does to people. We should be the first at the bar with our credit card ready to go. Don't be the person who's like, oh, yeah, I think I've got my wallet somewhere. Yeah, you've got your wallet. Be the first at the bar. Be the person as Christians go, how can, I wonder how I can give some money away today. It's good for us. And it's good for other people. And it's very good for God's kingdom. So, um, Kristen, if you wouldn't mind, uh, here are some numbers. If you're visiting us, or this is your first time here, just completely ignore this. Or give loads of money to it. But you can completely ignore it. This is really for people who, this is their church. This is their place. If you're still thinking, you're still on the fence, you're here on your own terms for as long or as little time as you like. But I would say, if this is your church, if you know this to be your church, if you're thinking, yeah, this is going to be my church, I realize this is going to be my church, throw yourself properly in. Luther said there are three conversions. There's a conversion of the head, the heart, and the wallet. And often we can go, yep, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, but that wallet's just not getting converted. I'd just get your wallet converted as quickly as possible. Throw yourself in. Psychologically, it's a bit odd to have one foot in the church camp and one foot in the my money is mine camp. However, do not give all your money to the church. Give some to the church. There are no hard and fast rules. There is the Old Testament rule of 10% of your income, but we don't live under Old Testament law anymore, so that is not binding on you. However, here's the annoying bit. When Jesus uses any of the Old Testament, he tends to uh, just add up a whole load of stuff on top of that. So if you think 10% is the starting point, let's just go up to 70%. I'm joking. So anyway, this is where we're at. First of all, uh, we have monthly giving. This is the best way in which we can receive money because it helps us plan, because we know what's coming in each month. It's like a paycheck. So if you are able to commit to um, one of these sums or another sum of your own making, nothing is too small, 
Definitely nothing is too big. Uh, but if you're able to give monthly, this makes a huge difference to us. We currently need a sort of extra $2,000 a month. So that could be one of 500. Are you the 500? It could be one of uh, 300, or let's call it three of 300. Are you uh, one of the two people who could give 200 a month? One of the one people, two people, I can't remember, my math is terrible, uh, of, who could do 100 or less or more. That just helps us um, do everything that we do week to week. We also, um, and here's a nice big scary sum. Can we have the next one? Is it refusing to come up? Uh, that's just 100,000 at the end of the year. Now, I know that seems scary, but I just want to tell you, when we were a smaller church, we did this last year. So I think we'll do it again, but it is obviously a big scary amount. But some people um, prefer to give all at the end of the year. So if you could uh, help with any of that, that's great. So those two sums just get us to where we need to be. Okay? That's the boring bit. Let's just get that done as quickly as possible and then let's look to the future and all the stuff that we can do. Okay? I came up with a few things. I want to hire a full-time kids worker. Anna has done an amazing job on very few resources working at a very small amount of time in the week but I want to do a full-time kids worker. And there are lots of reasons for this. One, because it's not just a kids worker. It is a community worker. It is in the schools. It's meeting parents. It is uh, meeting kids. It's doing after-schools clubs at the high school, at this school, uh, um, various other schools in the area, being basically a social um, community uh, gatherer of people. Thing is, for most of you, you don't have kids, so you don't care about kids. I never cared about kids until I had some kids. And then, then, church becomes all about the kids. Are the kids going to be happy? Because I don't care if I'm happy, the kids need to be happy. It becomes all about the kids. And what we need to do is be somewhere where people feel like actually their kids are really well looked after, that there is a growing kids ministry, that there are lots of volunteers, that there is someone that, who is their point person. As I say, Anna's done a great job so far, but we're really restricted by how much time we can um, offer her. So I would like to do a full kids worker. Let's call that 50K, including the other stuff. Um, we need to, to invest more in worship stuff, uh, to buy more equipment. We need to, Pete has given all his time for free to basically run the whole worship department because that's the sort of guy he is. He's not here, so I'm going to embarrass him a lot. He is an answer to prayer. He is um, an extraordinarily warm-hearted, kind person. And he has really taken the worship stuff on and looked after it in an incredible way. All the musicians here, that's all really um, because of Pete. So I would like to be able to resource that properly. Uh, we could also do with an administrator. And then this is where it gets really exciting. What could we do for people in this city? We need to do a marriage course. Do you know that 85% of marriages are now breaking down because uh, the wives, as opposed to the husbands, are saying, I can't do it anymore. And do you know the main reason? The main reason that they are saying, we can't do this anymore, a lack of emotional connection. Now, I know as guys, we want to be back in the 1950s where we can just be, yeah, mow the lawn, make money, and there's some truth in that being a good thing. 
but really, life has moved on. So unless us guys, and it does happen to be us guys, I hate um, stereotyping uh, genders, but unless us guys can actually work out how to be emotionally present for our wives, this is just going to carry on. We need to teach what it is like to have a healthy marriage where both parties are actually uh, bonding on every single level. I know that that was a horrible generalisation. There are lots of people here who I know uh, actually it would be the other way around. I'd love to say that I'm the emotional, intelligent one in our marriage, but that's just not true. <laughs> Parenting courses, similar thing. Uh, we need to put on an evening service for young people who can't get out of bed in the morning. I would love to do that as soon as possible. This is crying out for a whole bunch of young people at 6 o'clock to do an evening service. Wouldn't that be great? That costs money. Uh, Alpha, for people who don't believe, to give them a context in which they can ask questions. Do you know what people think about the church? It's all the things that the church stands against. That's what people think about the church. You go out there, they will tell you all the things that church is bad at, all the things that church is terrible for, all the ways in which the church is destroying the country. I want to say, one, I'm sorry. And that was never supposed to be the case. But also, two, do you want to hear about what Jesus actually stands for? Freedom and goodness and life. That's the Alpha course. That costs money. We need to do that three times a year. Um, social justice and an impact in this community. Serving the poor. Serving the homeless. Is a, this is a kind of on a divide between a whole host of different people. Um, from very rich people up there to very poor people down here. We want to try and serve the whole community. But also in the context of what's just been going on this week, wouldn't it be great that we could be a church that resourced people when natural disasters strike? that we could feed them, that we could house them even, that we could put them up, that we could look after them. When, and let's be honest, there'll be more mass shootings. But when those happen, that we actually can make an impact in changing things so that they don't happen anymore. That we can look after the victims. All of this, unfortunately, takes money. Give it away. Give as much as you possibly can. It will do you a huge amount of good. It will do the kingdom of God a huge amount of good. And it will do the people who receive it a huge amount of good. Good? Good. <sighs> that was a bit of a marathon. Didn't mean it to be that long. I'm sorry about that. Anyway, thanks for listening. What we're going to do is... Okay, what I think we should do is uh, we'll take a collection in a minute and we should give this to all um, the victims of the fire. Um, happy to do that? Good. We'll do that. Give as much as you possibly can. And we will, um, we will actually give it to our friends' church, um, Vintage in Santa Monica, who are housing and um, providing food and shelter for the victims. So we'll just do that as a one-off today. Um, if you're going to write a check, write it to bread, but just write in the memo line, um, uh, what's the, uh, just, just put vintage in it, and then we'll make sure it goes to the right place. Um, but also, could you just take a moment, um, band, do you want to come up? We're going to sing a song. Uh, Kristen, could you put the, um, the monthly amounts back up?
uh, could you have a think about um, what God is telling you? The thing with, the, um, with everything in the Christian life, we're just trying to follow the Spirit. You're not trying to follow me. Don't do it because I've said anything. Do it because the Holy Spirit is talking to you. So ask him, what should I do? And then when he says it, my advice is do it straight away so you haven't got a time to go, oops, I forgot about that. Just do it now. You don't have to sing the song. It'll be great, but you don't have to sing the song. Um, but could you do one of these amounts? You can give online, bread.church slash donate. Um, but it would be great if we could just uh, solve that 2,000 nice and quickly. That would be great. Thank you. Let's stand and we'll sing this song. <laughs>